Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Michelle Wooker. She's the author of the new book, The Gray Rhino, How to Recognize and Respond to the Obvious Dangers We Ignore. Uh, Michelle brings three decades of experience as a policy analyst, financial journalist, and think tank, think tank executive to her distinctive and accessible style of thought leadership, combining highly original thinking with incisive analysis. She's also the author of a 2006 book, Lockout, Why America Keeps Getting Immigration Wrong When Our Prosperity Demands on Getting It Right. Uh, her first book, Why the Cox Fight, Dominicans, Haitians, and the Struggle for Hispaniola, continues to influence scholars and policymakers as the two countries make headlines anew. She's been recognized as a young global leader of the World Economic Forum, as a Guggenheim Fellow, among other honors. And she's also a frequent commentator on U.S. international TV networks on matters of immigration, the global economy, and she's been published widely in a lot of media, including the New York Times, Washington Post, and many other places. Welcome, Michelle. It's great to be here. Thanks. Glad you're here. So, first of all, um, I, I want to get into the um, the whole issue of the gray rhino. But first of all, what is it like you're sitting here now, ten years later, after your book about immigration and the um, the election is talking about immigration? Has anybody come back and, and looked at you and said you've written a book on immigration and, and we should be talking about this? Well, I was actually on a. a call recently with the Council on Emerging National Security Affairs about the immigration and security nexus. Looking at what's been happening with the refugees, I get this sense of deja vu uh, after 9-11. There was a, a, that there were a lot of really self-destructive decisions. Uh, people didn't do a good job of measuring the cost of the policies that they were put in, putting in place against the risk of what was actually going to go wrong. So right now, uh, there's uh, an estimate uh, from uh, the Cato Institute that the risk of being killed by a refugee is one in 340 million, which is pretty wow. darn low. So we could um, get hit but, by you know, debris probably is higher than that, yep. Yeah, but you, you look at this hysteria over it, and it doesn't make sense. You look at the tens of billions of dollars in lost time over taking off our shoes at the airport, and you just get a sense of uh, priorities. And that's important because when we're putting so much attention into activities that don't really make sense or risks that are incredibly low, that means that we're not paying attention to what we ought to be looking at, which are the big, really, really scary things that are right in front of us, which is where the gray rhino came from. Right, and so that's what I was going to ask you. I presume that there was a logical flow here. So tell me about the gray rhino. What is a gray rhino, first of all? So the gray rhino is something that's big and scary, heading right towards you. It's got a, a big horn, and you've got a choice. Unfortunately, people way too often make the choice not to do anything, choosing not to choose, uh, but they also have the possibility of responding in a way that 
gets you out of the path of destruction uh, that often can lead to greater opportunities. And the gray rhino is really like a, a mix of the elephant in the room, which everybody mm-hmm. knows, but we, we take for granted that nobody does anything or says anything about the elephant in the room, and it just kind of stands there in the room. It's, it's static. And then you have the black swan, which came from the 2007 bestseller uh, that referred to the highly improbable, the rare, unpredictable event that you know, as, as a group, these in, unpredictable black swans happen much more often than we thought. But that's a great example of people paying way too much attention to something that, by definition, you can't predict. So I thought, you know, what if we took all the energy that went into the highly improbable black swans and put it towards something that's highly probable? So if you put the elephant in the room together with the black swan, you get the love child, which is the gray rhino. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So tell us an example of, of what are these highly probable events that we're, we're sort of ignoring like the elephant in the room. Sure. Well, the, the big one, and it's interesting because you still hear people say we never saw it coming, is the global financial collapse of 2008. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, if you if you look back and you look at the, the press at the time, you look at global leaders, uh, you know, Christine Lagarde was coming out and saying, hey, we're about to face a financial tsunami. Lots of very impressive financial journalists were saying, hey, this is coming. And, uh, you know, I lived in New York City at the time, and I had bought an apartment a few years earlier that had nearly doubled in value. And I sold the apartment. I said, this is this is." This is not looking good. Uh, But in hindsight, everyone says, oh, nobody saw it coming. And it's true that few people predicted the extent of the damage. Um, But I think that there there were lots of gray rhinos coming together that created what happened in 2008. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the zoological term for a herd of gray rhinos is a crash. Oh, interesting. A herd is called a crash. Interesting. So are there other, I mean, how how do we know where these things, because they're right in front of us yet we're not seeing them, what are the things that we should be doing to be looking out for a gray rhino? How do we see what's sort of in front of us, or are we purposely kind of walking around these big animals in the middle of the room? Oh, I think people do. They, 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 there's a reason that we don't see what's in front of us. Uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, in her, her wonderful book on, um, on, uh, on grief, uh, came up with five stages of recognizing that you're going to die and coming to terms with it. And the first right. one, of course, is denial. Denial, yep. And she said this is, you know, it's, it provides a biological function. It's it's something that allows you a temporary rest to start coming to terms with what's going to happen. But the key is that it's, it's temporary. And the thing about gray rhinos is that in hindsight, everyone says they, they saw them coming, but there's a significant minority, sometimes even a plurality of people who see that they're there. And they can happen either at the 30,000-foot global policy economic level they can happen within a company or they can even happen within your life and there are people who spend a lot of time as rhino trackers uh, 
they every year come up with a list of top risks. One of my favorites is the World Economic Forum's Global Risks Report. Mm. Uh, Eurasia Eurasia Group does a great one. Um, the Council on Foreign Relations has a, a preventive priorities project. So there are lots and lots of lists that say, hey, these are things that are coming, and there are several things that they coincide on. So if you've got a group of highly respected, if you have a group of highly respected analysts coming out and saying, watch out for this, well, it's kind of a good idea to watch out for it. <laughs> Why don't we do this? Is this one of these things where we, if we pretend it's not there, it'll go away? Well, there's certainly a lot of magical thinking. Uh, our culture is based on magical thinking. You look at the Hollywood movies right. where there's a couple of options for the ending, but usually it's something kind of wacky and out of the blue that happens to save the hero and save the day. So so there is really a, a wish that maybe if I don't do anything, maybe the, the most wonderful thing will happen. And that comes from something called an optimism bias, mm. that humans are much more likely to weight uh, good information than bad information. There are other reasons that people don't respond, and many of them are quite psychological. In some cases, they just think that a problem is, is too big that they couldn't possibly have any impact on it, so they're not going to do anything about it. And that could be something like climate change. I had a big argument with friend, a friend years ago who said, well, why should I give up my SUV? Because they're building all these coal plants in China, so whatever I do is going to be wiped out. Or you look in a company. If you don't have a culture that encourages people to raise red flags or to present new ideas, particularly in, a, 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 in an economy where you've got disruptive technologies, if your company is not open to listening what, to what you have to say and in many cases will actually punish you for being a Cassandra and saying what nobody wants to hear, right. there's not a lot of incentive to do it. Uh, there's, there, you know, there's other cases where there's so many perverse incentives. I mean, for politicians, it's very much in their interest to push, push something down the road, push the hard decisions to the next guy. Uh, there are, uh, there are lots of people who gain from us not paying attention to problems. Look at the fossil fuel industry, right? And the, you know, this this manufactured denial. A lot of people coming in and taking advantage of the fact that humans are not great at dealing with what they need to. Right. And and I guess we do this personally too as well. We all know we need to exercise and eat better and et cetera. And yet we, we sort of ignore that as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, for me it was how it happened with, you know, with my teeth and with everyone. Cause you, you know, you go to the dentist and you feel really great for the, you know, the day after and the week after your teeth are all really shiny and uh, you know, you floss every day and then you kind of skip a day and then a couple days and, you know, everybody laughs when I tell them this story because everyone <laughs> does it, and you're supposed to go every six months, but it kind of stretches out to a year. And I used to be that way uh, until I had two gum surgeries, oh. and that made a big difference. It's just like yeah. uh, Bill, Bill Clinton with the cheeseburgers. Right. Uh, you know, it took the two heart incidents to to change that. Yep. So I want to talk because this is fascinating. We could talk about personal lives and 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 um, the whole environment in, in, in terms of political and, and social. But I want to bring this back into companies. And for marketers, 
what do you think the impact is or what are the biggest gray rhinos that, that marketers are facing these days within co- companies or, or just in their, in their daily lives? There, there are three big gray rhinos that marketers face in general. Like one is the rise of the millennials. Yep. Uh, very different preferences, very different uh, needs for branding, a very different relationship with companies, use of social media, you know, different ways of getting the word out. And the second one is uh, radical transparency, which is something that uh, a company in the book talks about quite well. It's called a Tao Investment that has looked at the global garment industry and has seen terrible things like the, the Reina Plaza disaster where the right. building collapsed and, uh, you know, people had been told they would lose their jobs if they didn't go into the building with a giant crack on the side. And they make the point that with social media today and the, the digital reach, you just can't hide things like that the way that you used to. And companies can either see that as a threat or as an opportunity. There are companies that make sure that they behave responsibly and clean up their act, and they will get ahead in the long run for doing that. But companies that sweep things under the rug, uh, or as we've seen with some auto companies, actively conceal bad things, those companies are going to pay a very, very big price for it. And I think you're absolutely right, because what's happening is you can try and and sneak it under for a short period, but as you said, there's there's so much ability for us to find out about information, and and then when things do get out there, they're spread almost instantaneously by social media. So you can't be, um, you know, putting out cars that are having false acceleration like Toyota did, or airbags that deploy when they when they shouldn't, or something like that, and get away with it for very long. You have to come clean on all these things. Absolutely, and so that that brings me to the third big gray rhino for marketers, which is what I call a meta rhino. It's more of a a structural, a process problem that affects all kinds of other things. And that's really the culture within the company of allowing people to raise red flags and do something about it. There's so many cases where the alarm bells were there, but nobody acted on it. And at the same time, to recognize opportunities, which too many established companies see as a threat. And that meta rhino goes to decision-making in the companies, you know, who's making the decisions, uh, does the board, does company leadership represent a wide range of points of view, do those points of view align with what, who their customers are and what their customers want. Right. And there are so many companies that, that really need to pay attention to this meta rhino because then that goes into uh, marketing to millennials. It goes into transparency and the need to deal with problems before they get much bigger and bring your company down. Absolutely. Absolutely, and and I think it makes a lot of sense because we see so many situations where someone knew something but they didn't say, or I, you know, I, I put my hand up and I've tried to say something, but but it went, they went along without me. And so what starts to happen is there's missed opportunities as well as these, you know, these bad situations where airbags deploy or something terrible happens. But there's also missed opportunities for for growth as well. 
Um, and and you, one of the things we, you've talked about is the new Coke episode, which we've heard in, as marketers, that's kind of the classic study of, gee, here's this fiasco, Coke comes in, um, they test this thing, it, it works out very well, but they change the Coke recipe and they introduce new Coke and it's just a disaster. But you have a different take on it. So tell me, how do you see new Coke and what happened there in kind of in light of the whole gray rhino theory and, and what you're, you're talking about here? Sure. Well, New Coke for me, I remember distinctly because I was I spent that summer in Germany, and we were lording it over our American friends because we still had access to uh, to real, real Coke because it hadn't made it over to Europe yet. Um, but what's interesting is people forget the next chapter of that story, which is that Coke's market share started rising after the problem. And I think Coke was very smart to look at the fact that it was losing market share. It needed to rethink things. It needed to do things differently. And it, it did research. It asked people for their opinions. Uh, obviously, they, they overlooked a very big issue with their brand. And it was really an opportunity that they had overlooked, this, this brand loyalty. Um, and I don't know how they might have done it differently, but the truth is that they actually did something which is not uh, not common. And so they, they got to the right place by making some missteps. And that's so important because many people, when they weigh whether to do something and what that thing is to do when they see a problem, they're terrified of doing the wrong thing. They would rather do nothing than do the wrong thing. Look at, for example, uh, you know Herbert Hoover and the Great Depression. Right. He he did something. He did the wrong thing, uh, and he's you know he's <laughs> certainly remembered for that. But you got to give him credit for doing something. And sometimes even if you do the wrong thing, it changes the the dynamic of a situation so that you have options on the table that you didn't have before. And you look also so in that sense, uh, Coke comes in, they do new Coke, it's a disaster, but they realize it's a disaster, and they realize that old classic Coke is what everybody loves, and they bring it back, and there's this big upswing, and, and they call it classic Coke, and it's got this kind of revered status that it didn't have before. So they wind mm -hmm. up better off than if they'd never done it at all. Absolutely. They definitely ended up uh, better off. And sometimes you need, you need something to shake people up. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I've done a lot of work on, uh, on immigration and the possibility of uh, legal immigrants voting in municipal elections. And you know, the voting rates in municipal elections are absolutely dismal and embarrassing. Right. But it is incredible. Once somebody else wants those rights, people all of a sudden are up in arms about it. So sometimes you've got to make people feel like, uh, you know, somebody else wants what they have uh, to make them value it more. Right. So it's, so it's almost like you've, you've got to kind of go off track a little bit and then people look at you again and say that. It's fascinating to me that you say it's often better to do something uh, wrong than to do nothing at all. Uh, and yet how do you know that going the wrong way isn't ignoring the rhino as well? So do you have any tips to kind of get people – doing the right thing when the rhino kind of appears in the middle of the room? Well, the big thing goes back to the meta-rhino that I talked about, about decision-making structures uh, okay. and openness. 
It's, you know, are you asking for opinions from people who know what they're talking about? And actually, it's also useful to ask for opinions from people who don't know what they're talking about because sometimes they'll have the, the freshest insights. But it's very common for leadership of a company to be people who went to the same schools, who look alike, who are from the same place, who are just very, very, very similar. And that is dangerous. It makes us very vulnerable to something called uh, groupthink or uh, confirmation bias, which is that when you have a bunch of people around the table and one person says something, you'll all of a sudden see people nodding their heads nodding and saying, head, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, agree all the way yeah. around the room, even if they don't. They're, they're, they're there's this incredible peer pressure not to say something different. So you need someone in the room who's, who's willing to say what people don't want to hear and willing to talk through the pros and cons. And particularly for companies, it's important to have people who are in touch with the kinds of things their customers might want. That's great. That's wonderful. And, and I think it's important. So, Michelle, if people wanted to find out more about you and more about the book, where could they go to learn more about what you're doing with this? Because it's fascinating. We could talk about it all day. But um, tell us where we can find out more information. Well, I would love for people to visit my website, wooker.com, W-U-C-K-E-R. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, at Wooker. Uh, love to have conversations with people on Twitter to share ideas. I've met amazing people there uh, and really look forward to hearing from people. There's a contact button. Uh, would love to hear people's stories about their gray rhinos, how, how they've dealt with their gray rhino or, you know, how they wish they'd dealt with it. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Michelle Wooker. She's the author of the new book, The Gray Rhino, How to Recognize and Respond to the Obvious Dangers We Ignore. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being here today. Thanks, Linda. This is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com.